1: Data and analytics plays a pretty large role, especially in the modern era of soccer, whether that be player development, transfers, or in itself, club growth. So today I'm joined by Jordan Gardner, who is the co-chairman and co-owner of FC Helsinger, which is in the first division of Denmark, which is actually the second tier uh, to the Danish Superliga, but still a club that is exhibiting growth for player development. So Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Jordan, just for everyone's kind of benefit, what would you describe your role as with FC Helsinger? And also, I know you previously worked, or maybe currently work with uh, Swansea and uh, Dundalk. So kind of talk about your roles in soccer over the years leading up to now with uh, Helsinger.
2: Yeah, so my main project is uh, I'm the chairman, co-owner and management partner of uh, FC Helsinger, as you've mentioned. Um, what does that mean? I'm in charge of all the day-to-day operations of the club. I uh, lead the investment group that runs the club. Uh, We've been in Denmark for three and a half years, and uh, certainly it's been uh, a challenge, uh, you know, being a foreign investor in European football. But we've had a lot of success. We got ourselves promoted once up to the Danish First Division. Uh, We've been in the top four the last two seasons, and last season we were actually in first place for almost the whole season. Unfortunately, we narrowly missed promotion. So it's been it's been a fun project being you know more of a medium sized to smaller club in Europe. Uh, On a personal level, I also have some smaller investments in European football. I'm a very small shareholder in Swansea City, as you mentioned, and then I was a shareholder with Dundalk uh, and on the board of that club in Ireland, uh, but we exited our investment about six months ago, so I'm not involved with that anymore.
1: So that's my story. I'm curious why you chose Helsinger in a team in the second tier of Denmark as opposed to a club in England. I mean, Swansea, of course, uh, second tier of England right now, but why not a club uh, maybe in the lower tiers of England or maybe anywhere else in, say, Germany or Spain where there are maybe more established uh, clubs to uh, invest in.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think when we were looking at clubs and markets, you know, Denmark was really, and has been a growth market. And we're looking someplace where there was a lot of potential from a player sales and player development perspective. And that's not to say that that doesn't exist in some of the bigger leagues, but being honest the the cost of entry uh, to get into some of the bigger leagues is prohibitive. I mean, you, to get into the championship now in the UK, for instance, you're talking 40, 50, 60 million euros. And obviously uh, the secondary in Denmark is a fraction of that cost. So for kind of the entry points we were looking at, for the characteristics we were looking at, Denmark made the most sense. You know, uh, some of the other markets, Germany has ownership restrictions on foreign investment, so that kind of ruled that out. Spain and Italy are markets we've looked at, but you know, the we we wanted a market where it wasn't as competitive, right? That it wasn't like every single ownership group was trying to do the same thing, and that's my challenge a little bit right now with the UK especially with Brexit, and that every group is kind of doing the same thing. There's no uh, creativity in terms of markets where you can bring in talent or different ways to look at recruitment. Um, And we felt that Denmark was a good spot that we can kind of experiment and try something new. And I think it's, you know, over three and a half years, it's definitely proven to be the right market for what we want to do.
1: Do those same kind of factors in your decision to go to Helsinger, uh, did that kind of come into play? Why not the club in uh, the U.S. and MLS or USL? Was it the same kind of thing, barriers to entry really had to cost? Or did you really want to focus on Europe for that, for your goals?
2: Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, I'm more interested in European football. I think, you know, obviously you have a very different system, which I'm sure a lot of the viewers understand the differences. But you know, for me, coming from an entrepreneurial background, I'm more interested in in the ability to add value from an ownership group. You can get a club promoted. There's much more robust domestic player sales going on in Europe. There's clubs that are just not run as well as maybe some businesses in Europe in, in the United States. So there's opportunities there. So. You know, I I know a lot of people who invest in American soccer and I have a lot of respect for them. It's just not the way I look at things. And I do think on a personal level, the valuations are at a point now where you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars to get an MLS. You're talking even now in the second division, the USL, you're talking 15, 20 million dollars. And I think those are price points that don't make a lot of sense to me.
1: And Jordan, I see you're wearing the the U.S. men's national team, uh, the jumper. Uh, How important is American soccer to you in your uh, time with Helsinger I think I read somewhere that you, you, you already mentioned it like player sales is a big part of it and I'm curious is American players does that play any role in your day-to-day operations with Helsinger do you try to actively seek out American players so when we first got to Denmark we, we definitely talked a lot about bringing in American players
2: because you know in the division we're in in Denmark there's no foreign player restrictions so it's a good spot to bring in foreign players uh, that you know, We ran into a bunch of challenges, mainly COVID-19 in terms of, you know, having any sort of sophisticated scouting infrastructure in North America and the movement of players when borders are closed. So we really had to kind of pivot and um, we pivoted much more to a more domestic kind of Scandinavian based recruitment strategy. And we won games and we got promoted and we were doing really well. And so you know, we have brought over American players, but not at any sort of scale. Uh, the other issue that we run into is being a smaller club. You know, it's difficult for us to bring American players that have, uh, you know, that are at kind of top A-level players. You know, the top national team players are obviously going to bigger leagues that have that you know that have more money that can can pay the players. So I think we were looking at more second, third, and fourth tier players, and you know, the level is quite high in a place like Denmark. And some of the players we brought over weren't weren't good enough for the level. That's not to say there aren't players in you know Americans that are doing quite well in Europe, but I think for us and our particular strategy at this particular club, it didn't make a lot of sense. But that being said, I think over the last three years, the whole strategy that we had in our head of bringing in bringing American players to Europe has panned out at other clubs. You're seeing what's happening at Leeds right now. I think the quality of American players, certainly at the top end, is growing immensely. And to see what those those guys are doing, and Aaronson, those kind of players at the top levels in Europe is really impressive. I think the next wave maybe over the next five years is to see more players in leagues in Belgium, Holland, Denmark, having a lot of success and just more scale at that
1: level. So you talk about Helsinger's change from American to more uh, Scandinavian roots. One thing I want to ask you about is your general goals with Helsing. You talk about how yeah, the club was so close to promotion to the Super League of this past season. They already had promotion in previous seasons, but then you also focus on things like player sales. So as an owner and as a chairman, how would you kind of divvy up your objectives with the club? Is it I want to focus on player sales. I think the promotion is obviously the end goal, especially for the fan base. But as the chairman and the the owner, how important is like dividing up your preferences to, from player sales to uh, things like on-the-pitch success?
2: It's a good question. I think you know every club in European football has to understand that they have to sell players because if you don't sell players, uh, you're already looking at a significantly loss-making business you know, be much worse. And so I think you know, ideally it's a 50, 50 split in terms of having a strategy where you can develop and sell players and then have the next batch of players come in behind them that can replace them. And we, you know, this summer is a good example for us. We sold four of our best players this summer and, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a dip in form, but, you know, as the new players came in, the guys who hadn't played a lot last year, uh, came in, we've really won four of our four out of our last five games and they've kind of taken the reins. And so, It's a difficult balance. You know, we had this discussion in the winter window last year when we were in first place and only lost one game through the first 21 to say, you know, we have offers on our players. If we sell all our best players now, the the probability of us getting promoted goes down significantly. So it's a little bit like a case by case basis. You know, we realized at that time we decided not to sell any players, but that this summer was the right time to kind of retool. Um, Obviously it also comes down to the prices and the economics of each ownership group. But for us, You know, the goal is to get to the Danish Superliga. And, you know, I think I'm proud that we were able to sell some players at good prices and compete for promotion, but it's, it's a difficult balance and you can't, you can't always necessarily um, uh, pick the right spot. Um, But I, I think it's all, like I said, it's, it's really about contingency planning too. If you don't have players lined up to replace the players you've sold, you're in real trouble.
1: It's that
2: time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
1: Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but a lot of that in regards to player sales and trying to find the right price to sell them at, a lot of it does come down to data, analytics, trying to find players that can fill in in a way that is cost-effective, but you won't see too much of a dip in on-the-pitch success. Talk about the importance of data and analytics to Helsinger and Uh, clubs in Europe, we we see Brentford right now competing in the Premier League and competing well using this kind of money ball technique where they, you know, find players that maybe other clubs don't value as highly, but they still can compete at a high level. So in regards to your club, how important is data analytics and just using the new new, uh, era of technology to get the best out of teams? Look, it's very important to us. I think
2: the challenge we have is being a smaller club. We don't have this huge in-house data analytics department, you know, Brentford, Brighton, these kind of clubs, even though they're not, uh, top five clubs necessarily over the long run in the Premier League. They have in-house data teams, you know, they're, they're owned by guys who own betting companies, their background is entirely data. Um, and so for us, it's trying to be just as sophisticated as we can, you know, do we use more open source data sources? Obviously, everyone uses Wisecat, but is it a stats bomb? Is it a smarter scout? You know, these are kind of more uh, tools that a lot of clubs use. And can we Can we find specific pieces of those tools that we can do things a little bit differently we obviously don't have the resources to have a full in-house data analytics team for a club of our size Um, but the simple fact is so many clubs don't value data in european football and the fact that we just simply value it gives us a leg up and i think the other area that we really focus on is is not simply just data in recruitment because i think that is as important but that's what most people think it's player performance health and wellness injury prevention We've we've looked at the data pretty significantly in those areas and done things well beyond what a club of our size normally does when it comes to the other areas, even business analytics when it comes to our, our commercial side. And so, you know, for us, it's always about what can we do within the limited resources of being at the small club. You know, for me, someday, hopefully being at a bigger club, it's exciting to think what we could do with the resources of a bigger club. Um, and you know, there are examples, like we mentioned out there of clubs doing it well, but 98% of the clubs don't, don't do it well or don't value it at all.
1: Why do you think that is? Why do those clubs with seemingly unending resources avoid data at a, at a rate that would be so beneficial to them? And, and is, is there a reason for that? Or are they just being ignorant or what do you think? This business is still very old school. You have people that have been
2: around for many, many years and they don't, they're very resistant to change. And whether that's people on the sporting side or on the ownership side or, directors and CEOs of clubs, they, um, there's, you know, it's, it's a very relationship driven business. And there's still many clubs that instead of having a sophisticated data algorithm for recruitment, they're going to call up the three, you know, friends who are agents and the agents are going to tell them which players to sign. I mean, this happens at some of the biggest clubs in the world still. So, um, why does that happen? I wish I had an answer for you. I think, the demographics of people leading clubs skews older. Um, you know, I'm under forty. I think I'm very much in the minority when it comes to people in leadership positions at European football clubs. Uh, I think to the credit of clubs and sports organizations in North America, you know, whether it's MLS or other organizations, they're much more forward thinking when it comes to h- hiring people, bringing in new ideas, looking at things like data. But European football, it's just because these clubs are not looked at as real businesses. They're looked at more social institutions. There's not the desire to do things any more efficiently and make better decisions and and try to be progressive. That just doesn't exist really. And, you know, again, I think that's why the clubs that do do it and do it well can have such a competitive advantage. You see Brighton, for instance, you know, they're beating Manchester United, they're beating West Ham. I mean, these are clubs spending... 15 20 times higher player wages than they are how does that should not be possible but it is possible because clubs are so lagging behind when it comes to these kind of decisions
1: do you see that movement you talk about how the ownership is generally skewed older do you see this movement of younger owners younger executives coming in and kind of making that use of data more prominent and eventually we'll see it uh, kind of throughout the entire european world of soccer that is
2: Maybe slowly. I think you're seeing more foreign investment, particularly from Amer- Americans who think of these clubs as businesses and want to do things more efficiently and do value data. So I think, yes, you're seeing things slowly change, but not fast enough and not at a scale that needs to happen, in all honesty.
1: Now, Jordan, you talk about how you're still young, under 40, but you still have experience. I mean, FC Helsinger with, uh, for a couple of years. I'm not too sure. How, how many years have you been uh, with the club?
2: Three and a half
1: years. Three and a half years. And in that time, what do you think is the, the biggest lesson that you've learned as, a, as an owner and someone who is really working those day-to-day operations?
2: I think the biggest challenge is just uh, running a business in a foreign country. It's almost not football related. I think it's very easy for an American uh, to say, you know, I've owned an NFL team or I owned an American sports team. And, you know, that that will translate well to me owning a European football club. And not only is it really challenging to run a business in Europe, but the dynamics of European football are so different, whether it's relegation, whether it's a domestic player transfer market, whether it's just the way these clubs are run, it's just so different. And I think you know, as exciting and as fun as what I do is, I do really enjoy it. Most of people would be surprised if they knew what I did on a daily basis. Most of the things I'm dealing with are payroll taxes and uh, dealing with uh, work permits for foreign players and dealing just kind of with the minutia of running a business in a foreign country. And that can be very challenging on one hand, just the business side, and on the other hand is just the cultural side, whether it's your employees or whether it's your supporters or sponsors or fans. You know, We're in Scandinavia, these are socialist countries and they, the people there look at the world in a very different way than we do as Americans. And I think it's about how do you merge your way of thinking from an American perspective? Because these clubs do need to be run more efficiently, do need to be run like businesses and decisions do need to be better but also understanding that you can't just come in as American and say, Hey, we're just going to do everything we want. And we have been, you know, we're Americans. We're going to do whatever we want. Cause that doesn't work either. So I think the learning curve for me was kind of merging the domestic, the Danish way of running a club and running a business with my American mindset finding that happy balance, which we don't always get to, but finding that right balance in terms of making decisions. And I think that's the hardest thing that most American, particularly foreign ownership groups have in European football.
1: Now, using this American mindset, I'm curious where you see Helsinger in, say, five years, uh, maybe double the time that you've been there right now. Where do you see, well, first of all, where are your ambitions with Helsinger? And then where do you realistically see the club in five years' time?
2: I mean, our ambition has always been to have a stable, self-sufficient club. And that obviously was difficult with COVID and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we've been in the top four in the Danish First Division for two seasons running, which is not easy. I think, obviously, within five years, the goal is to get up to the Superliga, which was also not easy. I think the amount of money being spent at the higher divisions in, in a place like Denmark is significantly more than we're spending. You know, we're in the bottom three of player payroll in, in the division we're in, let alone the higher division. So I think, to me, I, I think it's a mistake when clubs in European football say, you know, we're going to get promoted in three years or this or that. It's very difficult to put timelines on these kind of things. Um but I think ultimately, of course, the goal being in a place like Scandinavia is to be in the Super League and have a self-sufficient club. And there, of course, are limitations with this club. I, I get asked about, you know, are you, are you going to go for Europe? And I'm like, that's not realistic. We're a small club in a small community. The amount of money that we need to get spent to get into Europe in a place like Denmark would be exorbitant. We'd have to be uh, go up against these huge clubs like FC Copenhagen and Bromby spending, you know, 100 times more on player payroll. So I think for us, self-sustainability, it's getting to Superliga. And then, you know, whether it's with the current group or myself, it's scaling and then doing, replicating the success we've had and learning experiences, what we've had in Denmark to a bigger league and a bigger club. Because that, to answer your question from earlier, why didn't we go to a bigger league? You know, the idea was, you know, let's learn and make mistakes at a smaller club at a smaller scale. And then we can go to a bigger league and then learn. Because I I couldn't imagine American group going into the Premier League, no experience whatsoever in terms of how these clubs are run or, or what you're supposed to do now. Being on the ground in Europe for three and a half years, you know, I feel like I have the tools necessary to have success at a bigger club. I think a lot of Americans in particular overestimate the amount of uh, experience needed or underestimate the amount of experience needed to run these clubs and run them well.
1: It's interesting because uh, Chelsea obviously being taken over by a new American over Manchester United. They have some uh, opinions about their American owners. Jordan, I'll wrap up with this. I just want to know about your experience in Denmark. What has been your favorite part about being an owner and chairman uh, for Helsinger in the uh, Danish first division?
2: Yeah, I mean, the favorite, my favorite part, um, I mean, look, being an American in European football in a leadership position is an honor and a privilege. There's very, very few Americans. We talk about American players, but whether it's coaches or CEOs or people on the ownership side. Uh, I kind of have to pinch myself sometimes and realize, look, yeah, we're not Manchester United here, but being able to do what I do in in European football is, is incredible. And, um, you know, for me that, you know, whether that is, you know, difficult in terms of getting on a plane uh, and, you know, getting over to Europe or getting up at three o'clock in the morning, because the time difference, all those sacrifices are worth it because at the end of the day, it's such an incredible experience. And, you know, I think the one thing that stands out for me is when we did get promoted, uh, from the second division to the first division. And even though, um, you know, that was, we were the favorites, I would say, Um, I think that was such an amazing accomplishment. It's, you know, we can, (laughs) I'm sure you guys have other podcasts talking about promotion relegation in the U S but I think I'm such a proponent of the fact that if you do all the right things, if you make the right decisions, you bring in the right players, the right coaches, you have the right data system and you win games, you get promoted. It's almost this validation that you've done a good job and you've done well. Whereas I think in other leagues, yeah, I guess in the MLS, for instance, you can make the playoffs and win, you know, win the championship. But it was such a real validation for us when we got promoted. And then obviously finishing in, you know, in, in the top four is also validation for us. So, I, you know, I think those are all satisfying things for me. And, yeah, it's a fun experience. And, uh, you know, we'll see where the future takes us.
1: Yeah, we should see. I mean, as an American, you gain a fan for Helsinger rooting and for you guys to uh, get promoted to the uh, Super League of this season should be a, a fun one to follow. Cool. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Appreciate yeah, it. for sure. Jordan, have a good one.
0: Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues